Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Best Jim Carrey movie. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcast should have a theme song. Podcast should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. Best Jim Carrey movie. That was terrible. Don't use that. <laughs> Definitely don't use that. Was that Rip Taylor giving our... uh <laughs> Hey there, best Jim Carrey movie. Hello. Oh, that's right. I was doing Rip Torn. Yeah, you were doing Rip Torn. <laughs> well, now, good, right? now Ken has to use that one. Yeah. So exactly. that people know what we're talking about at the top. Um, but we're not here to talk about Rip Torn or Rip Taylor. First, <laughs> let's talk about you, Hal. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, yesterday was the cheat day on my diet, which nice. I'm, is increasingly becoming a it feels like a farewell tour of foods I used to eat on the reg. Because <laughs> every time I eat it now, my stomach's like, you don't like that anymore. Yeah. Go to the bathroom. So if this is the farewell tour, are they doing lots and lots of encores? Yeah. There are yeah. plenty of encores. Yeah. They've thrown the cape over that ice cream like three <laughs> times. It is the James Brown of foods. It keeps popping back out. Oh, my God. Was that you dinging or me? Probably, Probably me. You. I don't know how these things work. <laughs> Grandpa's confused about the iPhone. Grandpa can't figure things out. I, you know what I did almost uh, do right now? I was trying to bring up my list to begin this episode, and I typed list of Jim Carrey movies into a text field that I almost sent you. And right before I hit send, I went, oh, nope, that's not Google. <laughs> so Grandpa caught it right before. Good job, Grandpa. Thanks. This topic, by the way, was suggested by Joseph Pullen. Thanks, Joseph. This is very exciting. Yeah, th this is exciting. Are you a big Jim Carrey fan? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've always liked his work. I've always there's there've been a few clunkers for me in a few periods in time when his style of comedy, uh, just I I wasn't like focused on that because mm -hmm. to his credit, he has his style of comedy started big and stayed. Not necessarily just big, but unapologetically him. Yes. Uh, he never, he never, he changed with the times in as much that, and as much as an iconoclast changes just throughout their life, but I don't think he molded himself to anything that was going on. So there was a chunk in time when his style was my total favorite. When I was in like ninth grade. Uh, yeah. Right when he first came out, 94. I, I remember I, I was a big fan of In Living Color, so I knew him from that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see Ace Ventura Pet Detective in theaters. And and I, that's a movie we will have to talk about, which is maybe his signature film, but also highly problematic mm -hmm. in 2019. But I remember, I think it was sometime in high school, like I'd had a really tough day. And it felt like anything bad that I had done or that had happened to me in the past six months all sort of crashed down that day. Mm -hmm. And my parents could tell that I was having a tough time. I think they had just punished me for something, probably uh, playing Jeopardy on a laptop in biology class and getting a D. <laughs> I had a giant – my dad had one of those like early laptops that was like the sure. size of a briefcase. Oh, and yeah. I would bring it and take notes. I would legitimately take notes in class, but also in biology class, which I hated, I would play Jeopardy. 
and I got in trouble for it and was not doing the work. So that was one of the things. But they showed me – we had Ace Ventura on VHS and they put it in and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen because, you know, when he was part of an ensemble, he would do some stuff that was funny. You got the sense of how physical a comedian he was. But that movie was definitely him unleashed and it obviously has led to a huge – Film career that's, that's more wide ranging than, than you would realize on first glance because so much of it is that broad comedy that he's known for. Well, so much of his early stuff is that broad comedy. And, yeah. uh, and that really was what he came out of, uh, because I also loved In Living Color as a kid. Uh, when he came out of In Living Color or when he came out on In Living Color to the world and showed, you know, this insane rubber limbed dude, mm-hmm. uh, I remember, do you remember there were a few years ago they were having auditions for a new and living color in LA? Did you ever go in for that? I didn't go in for most of the, most of the things that people were going in for. I have not gone in for, but I do think I remember that. Uh, it was, I went in for it and I went in and I basically, I knew that, uh, that I was going in as, uh, Try, they were trying to find a new Jim Carrey to be the white guy on in living color because mostly mm-hmm. African American cast and, uh, and they were like, yeah, we like what you're doing. Um, can you just be like wacky or like move your arms more? That was uh, my note that they gave me after I did my audition. Oh, good. Lord. And it, I was like, wait, wh- oh, you're just looking for something very specific. You're looking for a rubber man, uh, which he was back then. He was this rubber man, uh, and could do, you know, he had fire marshal bill, which was this insane over the top character. Um, and then that bled into his movies like uh, Ace Ventura and the Mask. So this really is like the starting point. Ace Ventura feels like you can lump all of you can lump all of in living color in with what Ace Ventura was and the mask, I think, to some extent, which is basically him getting to do a million characters in one movie. Yes. You know what yeah. I mean? A hundred percent. These early ones weren't, uh, he was basically doing a one man sketch show and yeah, problematic as it was with, uh, with, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, um, that was, you know, there was, there's some really hilarious, hilarious stuff in that movie. A hundred percent. And everything he's doing is, is over the top and his commitment to it is what makes it work. Cause there are a lot of movies that are super over the top in that way that don't hit because it feels like they're trying at it yeah. where with Jim Carrey, just the way he seems in interviews and just sort of out in public, he seems like he's somebody who just sort of is, I don't know that he's following the shiny thing, but there's something to him. I don't know if it's following the, the shiny light as much as just whatever the energy is moving him to do, he does. And that comes across in film. So there's something genuine about it, even though it's completely over the top. Yeah. And I, I guess part of it is he reminds me of my buddy Robert. You know, you know, my buddy Robert, uh, in high school, he was that guy. Where he, on Valentine's Day, he would just wear uh, a diaper and tiny wings to school and just dress like Cupid. Because that's just what the spirit moved him to do that morning. And he still does insane, weird things. He's the one that I went to Times Square New Year's Eve with and he got naked in the middle of Times Square. Just like, it's not, it's not artificial because, like, no, I've known him for 30 years. He's been that the whole time. Yeah. Um, and that's what, that's what I think Jim Carrey is in, uh, and yeah, I think that's why he blew up, uh, the way, the way that he did. Um, so let's take a look at this list of movies. We, you know, from 90 to 94, he's in, in living color and then blows up in, uh, in 94 with, uh, Ace Ventura Pet Detective. His next movie, The Mask 
is the same thing. It's him playing a million different characters. It's over the top. Let's talk about the mask for a second. Yeah, uh, but before we jump into that, before we do that, there there were a few movies he was in before he broke huge. Once Bitten was his first sort of starring role that was opposite Lauren Hutton, a vampire comedy from 1985. It's sort of culty, but not uh, certainly not a contender. He was in Peggy Sue Got Married, The Deadpool, and Earth Girls Are Easy. Yeah, he was uh, one of the three uh, aliens in Earth Girls Are Easy, right? Along with Damon Wayans, one of his yeah. In Living Color castmates. It was the, the two of them and Jeff Goldblum. Uh, th- those are not going to win. No. A- at all. So, so yeah, you're right. We, I was, I was just kind of disregarding all of, of the, uh, all of the other stuff before that. He's actually, um, th- there is a TV movie he was in, and I don't think TV movies need to be counted here, but called mm-hmm. Doing Time on Maple Drive. Where he plays the alcoholic son. It's like a family drama, sort of after school specially. Uh, uh, yeah, special E. And he's really, really good at it. And Wait. you got a sense from that. He plays the alcoholic son in this family. What is the name he, of this? I, playing, why so can I not see this? Doing Time on Maple Drive oh, yeah. from 1992. And he's really, really good at it. And you get a sense of the dramatic actor that we would see later on. And I think comedians are a lot of, a lot of comedy actors, not necessarily comedians, but comedy actors mm-hmm. are very good at making that turn to drama. Well, this was early. So he would have been on, uh, in living color for a couple of years when he made this. That's yes. sort of a fun, uh, that's sort of a fun harbinger of what's to come. It's cool to see him from those early years on in living color. Uh, even at that point, go into a dramatic television role just two years in. Uh, yeah. that, that sort of portends that later on he's going to be making some seismic shifts in his career, which has really been fun to watch. Yes. Now the mask. Talk to yeah. me about the mask. Um, the mask is, it feels like a more polished version of Ace Ventura. Like, okay, here's a sort of kid friendly, uh, let's give him a cute dog. Uh, and when he does these over the top characters, let's, physically animate him and turn him into a cartoon when he does them uh which is what the mask felt like to me yeah like if ace ventura is the low budget here's this guy doing zany characters the mask is the high budget we're giving him um a you know big stars in his cast uh a higher budget and cg to animate his face like for his wolf whistle and his um you know big jaw drop like all of these looney tunes sort of things that they add to what Jim Carrey's already done his whole career in this movie. Yeah, it's a very smart combination of CGI to enhance what he already does anyway. The makeup job is really good. He uh, obviously he gets to play both sides of it because he's a mild-mannered Stanley Ipkiss who works mm-hmm. at the bank by day and then when he puts the mask on obviously becomes the mask. Uh it is enjoyable. I I haven't seen it in a little while, and I've seen it many, many times. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the extent to which it holds up versus some of these other movies. Yeah, it feels like a kid's movie to me. Yes. Yeah, it does. It does. And it's not I, – I don't think it. you can ding it for its sequel, Son of the Mask. No. With, with Jamie uh, Kennedy. With Jamie Kennedy, yeah. Yeah. Th- th- with that particular Jamie Kennedy experiment – Yes, that one didn't, yeah. that one maybe didn't work out. He yeah. had more time in the lab. Yeah, that was, that wasn't pouring a Mentos in a Diet Coke. That was pouring a Rolo in a Diet Coke. Yeah. And it just kind of didn't do anything. But I think when Jim carries at his best as one of these wacky characters is when he has either a foil or a partner in crime. And that's why I think the next movie 
uh, in his filmography should be a finals contender, and that's Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you on that. This movie, it's the first time he's playing one character beginning to end, mm-hmm. and it is a very specific and insane character, and he maintains it the whole movie. Yeah, and, um, and you get maybe one of the most underrated actors who's working today and has been working yeah. in Jeff Daniels, who's just like a powerhouse actor. I wouldn't say he's in. any longer underrated though. You don't think so? Not anymore. No, he's, I mean, that dude is crushing it. And now yes. Broadway knows what a huge, great force he is as an actor. Mm-hmm. He's been crushing it on stage for a while now. Yeah. And I think doing Aaron Sorkin shows plus crushing it on stage, like his acting pedigree is, is legit. But back then, I would agree with you. Yeah, I I feel like people I feel like people sleep on him. I think he gets a lot of work because he's very good at what he does. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how many people. It, when you're talking about great actors, I don't know how often Jeff Daniels comes up. Well, you're not talking to the theater people, my friend. That's true. That's true. He should be coming up a lot more if you're not a theater person. Go yeah. check out his work, and he's so good here. His chemistry with Jim Carrey <laughs> is great. He he plays it straight yeah and in like his dumb is completely different than jim carrey's but yeah. also just as dumb or dumber yes i you know i was at work <laughs> i was at work on friday uh-huh <laughs> oh god <laughs> i went into the bathroom uh-oh and i legitimately heard somebody undergoing the the toilet scene from dumb and dumber oh jeff Daniels toilet scene and it, it made me – I had to suppress my laugh because <laughs> then they might know I heard them. But I did go back to my desk and watch that scene again, which is not a Jim Carrey scene. No. There are plenty of great Jim Carrey. That, <laughs> but that, that's why I started laughing a minute ago yeah. just sort of quietly uh, because the idea that the winner of best Jim Carrey movie is going to be Dumb and Dumber because we sat here and talked about how great Jeff Daniels is. Uh, the idea of that is amusing to me. But also in terms – Jim Carrey cuts his hair. He takes out the – That the cap. tooth. Yeah, that cap on his tooth, which which I guess was like that since he was a child. Mm-hmm. Canadians, hockey. Can, yeah, Canadians. <laughs> he went to a hockey game and tripped and fell down yeah. and then lost part of his tooth. He didn't even play. Is and that true? That's what it was? No, I think – he may have hit it on something as a kid, but it, it – they Either way, he's got a hole in his front tooth. Yeah, and he had it. He had it removed. Hit the seek the fantasy sequence is is some of his best physical comedy, where he does the roll and pulls out the chef's heart, puts it in the doggy bag, and <laughs> gives it to him. Uh, just just so good. His whole the physicality of him when he's driving the limo in the beginning and has to go through into the back seat. Like every he's just. It's it's a weird there's a weird control to it mm-hmm. that is not necessarily there if if Ace Ventura Pet Detective is is Jim Carrey unleashed mm-hmm. then this is him harnessing and focusing all of that energy into the dumbest guy on on the planet yeah like the idea <laughs> that as a character to me is just it's just so sublimely simple that what character do you play in this movie? Literally the world's stupidest person. Uh, that to me is very funny. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, two, two great, two great moments of this. One is the ever quotable, I like a lot. Mm-hmm. And the other is him. In uh, the, the, some say, some may say overly quoted. Overly quoted. Uh, back in the, back of, a long time ago it was anyway. I mean, look, bending over and talking out of your butt. 
is 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 done. Mm-hmm. The alrighty then people still use. Maybe Ugh. maybe they don't. Maybe I just do. But I alrighty then. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, a long time. He's boy. That man got a lot of uh, got a lot of quotes into the vernacular for uh, for school age kids. Yes. And, uh, I also love in Dumb and Dumber the, do you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? That is a, that's a, has stood the test of time. Uh, and my brother will still do that to me while I am driving. <laughs> and if he is driving, I will do that to him and get right up in his ear. <laughs> well, that is, that was uh, improvised. Oh, really? Great improvisation. Yeah. Jim Carrey is one of those guys where you give him, you know, he'll do the takes as, as they're written. But he also improvises a ton and comes up with great stuff. Oh man, that bit is so good. Yeah. And um, again, Jeff Daniels, kudos to Jeff, kudos to Jeff Daniels for going with it. Yeah. Um, really, if this movie wins, it's going to be because of Jeff Daniels. That's right. Um, all right, let's, uh, his wings. let's move on, uh, to his next big movie that I'm sure is your favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman Forever. <laughs> I will say. When I saw this movie, I don't remember if I told this story uh, before, but I came home to my dad and I said, Dad, I just saw a Batman movie that I think was the most accurate Batman movie (laughs) I've seen. I said this. I was Uh 17 years old. I have no one to blame but myself because to me it captured kind of Silver Age Mm -hmm. Batman. And I it, it always bothered me. We've talked about this several times now that Batman and Batman Returns were both took they both took enough liberties with his story and the characters around him that it bothered me. Mhm. Uh, Jim Carrey is good in this movie but it's not a good movie. <laughs> and he's not it's not his best I know. Performance I either. know Punkin. And this I is know. is this the one is this the one with the nipples on the mask? No, that was uh, the that was Batman and Robin. I got nipples in mean, her eyes. The nipple <laughs> on the suit. No, the reason I said that, I think I told this story before. Uh when Joel Schumacher made um when Joel Schumacher made Phantom of the Opera and uh and uh so he directed that movie mm-hmm. and of course he put nipples on the bat suit. Uh, I went to go see a movie and the trailer for Phantom of the Opera played before it. And someone in the audience yelled, oh, my God, he put nipples on the mask. <laughs> uh, and it made me laugh. So nipples on the mask is a phrase that is somehow and for that reason been in my head for all this time. <laughs> Sorry for uh, foisting it on you. No, no, Batman Forever was the Val Kilmer one. Yes. Yes, it was. I liked his. I liked his Batman better than Michael Keaton's. I like Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne better than mm-hmm. Val Kilmer's Batman. I thought Val Kilmer filled out the suit a little more. Like mm-hmm. he looked like a guy who could fight crime where Michael Keaton looked like Mr. Mom. Yeah. To me. Sure. And it's not a good movie. Uh, yeah. It's fine. Like I liked all, I liked, I, you know, hot take. I liked all those Batman movies because I was in high school and I was like, yeah, these are fun. They're Batman movies. Yeah. Um, that was better than nothing. We didn't know what, what superhero movies could and would become. Right. Um, then after that, we get Ace Ventura when nature calls the sequel with the famous, uh, him getting born out of the rubber rhino. Yes. Uh, but other than that, pretty forgettable movie, right? Yeah. The, the other, I forgot to mention, by the way, my favorite part, my, <laughs> oh, my God, favorite what? Ace Ventura. My, my favorite moment in Ace Ventura 1 is when he goes to the party and the string quartet is, is going and he just pulls the cellist's bow. 
while they're playing. So you just hear the the second Ace Ventura. My favorite part is is also at a party when he meets the guy. He says, "You must be the Monopoly guy," and then he punches him. He knocks him out because the guy is is a bad guy. Like dances around with him and then tips him over and makes him shake so his jaw rattles and says, "Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars." <laughs> this movie is not, as far as sequels go, yeah. not good. It's nice to see him reunite with Tommy Davidson, his mm-hmm. his in Living Color co-star in the Bumblebee tuna scene. Yeah, which I think is another one that kind of gets mentioned a lot. The Bumblebee Tuna and Iquenzo Ocha, the white devil, as mm-hmm. he's called by the tribe. Uh, not a good yes. movie. Sorry. Uh, no. Uh, the next movie, though, that he made, yes. this is, by the way, but this is all, every movie we have talked about so far has mm-hmm. been in two years, yes. 1994 to 1996. Yep. That is, or three years, 94, 95, and 96. That is an insane run. Like, that is skyrocketing to superstardom. Absolutely. He had a huge hit movie pretty much every year. Uh, and we we'll, just had, we just listed like six of them. Exactly. But I mean, even, it's not like he had a year where he wasn't successful. Right. He was always successful. I do think this next movie is one that gets underrated and was misunderstood and mismarketed when it was released. Yeah. I think, I think this next movie is, uh, is a huge contender for mm-hmm. the finals. Uh, and that is 1996's The Cable Guy. Uh, yes. in The Cable Guy, Jim Carrey, Plays the cable guy who is television obsessed and also obsessed with one of his customers. Uh, and it is a masterful performance and is a great, it's a, it's another one of those moments where you're like, Oh, here's this wacky comedian doing something really dark and satirical. Yeah. It's a super dark comedy that was marketed as a Jim Carrey movie. It's directed by Ben Stiller and was written by, by Judd Apatow. Which is, I think, I did not know Judd Apatow wrote that. He either wrote it or co-wrote it or produced it, but he was involved in that movie. I think that might be where he met Leslie Mann, his wife. Ah, that might be where they met. But obviously, they worked together on that. And Matthew Broderick is is the lead. He's the the figure of the cable guy's obsession. And it's he's this guy who's raised a television at the time the uh, the Menendez brothers trial was happening. So there's a a satire. It's really a satire of of our relationship with television yeah. and the void that that it fills for some people and when it can become unhealthy not only for a single person but for people as a whole and you know that as as this the story's playing out this this Menendez brothers type trial where where Ben Stiller plays both of the twins mm-hmm. is playing out and everybody's watching and and they're so wrapped in it that they're not connecting with one another which obviously is something that has gotten worse and not better. Right. But in that way, it was kind of prophetic in terms of the effect that, that, that mass media can have on people. And, uh, it does have a sort of <laughs> sad version of a happy ending in that everyone's cable goes out all at once. And in one of the final moments of the movie, a couch potato sort of gentleman looks over and sees a book on a desk. <laughs> And yes. slowly reaches out and grabs the book and looks at it like, what is this? <laughs> it's a really fun, crazy. Yeah. Um, it is a movie of its moment and it captures its moment perfectly. I absolutely put this up there, uh, in the finals. Yeah. I think it is a final movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Plus his performance is great. He gets to yes. sing in it. 
Yes, yes, it does. He gets to use his uh, his comment or his uh, his pretty good pipes. Do you remember the the video of of his version of someone somebody to love? No, I don't. It was uh, it was like I think I think it was the kind of video that was on MTV once and then VH1 a lot. <laughs> Fair enough. But that was like a huge. That was a showstopper number in that film when he throws the karaoke party. Yeah. In uh, Matthew Broderick's home. All right, you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, I again, this is another really, really strong performance yeah. where he played uh, Liar Liar, 1997, where he plays Fletcher Reed, a lawyer who is forced to tell the truth after his son's wish is granted. These kind of movies to me, uh, I love, I just love the conceit of movies like this, where it is some sort of thing that makes a human behave in a certain way that no one would act. And what does that do to a person and the people around them? It yeah. feels like it feels like a play to me. Yes. You know what I mean? It feels like if I read that as the brief synopsis of a play, I would be intrigued and would want to either read or see that play. Absolutely. And again, this is like a great showcase for his physicality where he's struggling to either struggling to tell lies or struggling mm-hmm. to keep the truth in. And then a, a great sequence in the court where he gets a recess by beating himself up in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, this is another one of those that feels like a family movie. Maybe it's because mm-hmm. the like the mask there's a smaller person to contend with and this it's a kid and the mask it's a dog or a smaller being to contend with. The, so that always makes it feel a little more family friendly and it is it's kind of a family friendly sweet. You know what I mean? Like this feels mm-hmm. like a, a sweet late 90s by the book sort of here's a magical moment and a family comes together family movie. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very funny, but with a very, very good performance. Yeah. Who wrote this? Do we know? I'm looking at it right now. I, it's not, I will say, uh, while you look that up, I don't think it's one of these finalist movies. It feels like a, like a, maybe a cut below. Yeah. Where it, it's a great use of him. And I think he was working with Tom Shadiak again, who is the director of Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Uh, but ultimately the writer, uh, the writer for this, uh, yeah. wrote, also wrote the Little Rascals movie. So yeah, it feels he wrote the Little Rascals movie. Um, and let's see what this other writer wrote. Uh, oh, also wrote the little, they're, they're a duo, uh, Little Rascals and Heartbreakers. But yeah, so it, it just feels like a, a fun family movie with a great hook. Yes. And some pretty good performances. Absolutely. But the, the next movie on the list, I think should be a finalist. Okay. And I think he was robbed of an Oscar nomination. He did win the Golden Globe for best, I think for best dramatic performance. It might have been for best comedic because they just don't sort of didn't know what to do with him. And that's 1998's The Truman Show. Yeah. He is, I, it really does feel like he is at his best when he's doing satires and not just comedies because he's a smart guy with a lot to say as evidenced by his uh paintings and artwork that he's making now he is a very opinionated yes. dude so yeah these mm-hmm. satire choices that he makes i think are so fun and so good uh the truman show being another great example of that yes the truman show for those of you who have not seen it is about a man whose entire life has been staged and is a reality television show the most popular in the world Mm-hmm. And he lives uh, – the place where he lives is supposed to be on an island, and he was given a fear of the water as a kid, so he never leaves. And everyone around him, including his wife, they're all actors. 
Mm-hmm. So he sort of slowly discovers this truth. It's directed by Peter Weir. The music is by Philip Glass. Mm-hmm. It is not like any movie he had made before. And I think it's, it's instead of being, we saw the exact opposite, which is we know he can be huge and physical and broad, but this was a small, c- controlled, restrained, very emotionally grounded performance. And I think he for, for the most part, I think yeah. I, there are the moments like good afternoon, good evening and good night. Like right. he's his, the, his, he begins at a place of wacky and ends at a place of real, which is really fun. Absolutely. Um, he does start kind of wacky though. Uh, the yep. writer of this, by the way, had just the previous year, uh, written Gattaca. So if it's not like any other Peter Weir movie, it's definitely in line with what this writer was doing, which is, uh, sort of a pessimistic view of where we could go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this is another great one. Uh, Ed Harris is awesome in this movie. Yeah. Uh, he did get an Oscar nomination for this as the producer who is controlling uh, Truman's life. Mm-hmm. Truman Burbank. Is yeah. His name which is an amazing, movie. an amazing name for a character that, uh, that is basically what Burbank is, is just rows of houses on, uh, gridded blocks. Yes. Um, now, this next one coming up, this one is my uh, personal favorite. Okay. And that – oh, no, no. I, we've got one more before that. Sorry. Simon Birch. I mean, he's not really – He's he a tiny part. It. Yeah. I, 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 like, I actually don't hate Simon Birch. I don't think it was – I don't remember it being a particularly huge hit. I yeah. think it's – It's fine. Can we talk yeah. about the one that I want to talk about, though? Yes, please. Man on the Moon. This is my favorite. Partly because I just love Andy Kaufman. Sure. Me too. Um And – did you see this movie? Uh, many times, yes. Um, the way this movie begins is he comes out as Andy Kaufman, basically gives a head fake uh, that there's not going to be a movie, and then the credits start rolling. Mm-hmm. And that's how the movie begins. And I wanted so badly for that to be the whole movie. For them to have shot a trailer... <laughs> Where Jim Carrey does this whole, like, they make it look like it's going to be this epic movie about a, a brilliant comedian. Uh, and then they just give us that. Would have, I would have loved that so much. That would have been the most Andy Kaufman. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thing that you've um, done. But now this is the first time I think that he goes off the deep end. Uh, and just like, this guy does not have an ironic bone in his body. He's the most earnest person. He like if he's gonna do it, he's gonna do it, and he yes. does it with this. Uh, he digs into Andy Kaufman. He um, he is full of all kinds of antics on set, sort of pulling Andy Kaufman esque stunts on set. There was a mm-hmm. documentary Bob Zamuda made about this. Uh, that's that if you get a chance to watch it, it's nuts. As Andy Kaufman, you know when he uh, his people are taking the backstage tour at Universal, and he as Andy Kaufman runs out of the psycho house with a knife and jumps on one of the trams. Yeah. Scaring the hell out of the people until they see that it's Jim Carrey. And then they start freaking out and taking pictures. There is something about this movie. I, I like him. I, I think he's very good in it. I don't think he needed to do as much as he, he didn't need to make life hell for everybody. <laughs> like when he film. parked his, when he parked his car in front of Danny DeVito's door to his trailer. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> you, I think he probably could have done it a different way, but that he chose to become Andy Kaufman, like mm-hmm. really transform into him. And that entire documentary about the process and what it was like for him coming in and out of it is fascinating to watch, but it makes you go, isn't there another way you could have done it? 
Yeah. And, the, uh, the, uh, the Lawrence Olivier, my dear man, why don't you just act? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the best advice you could give. Yeah. I, I do think for, I, I do love the theatricality of it though. He's Jim Carrey. He's, he's, uh, he's like, he's like the male movie version of Lady Gaga. Just like, sure. it's always going to be doing something nuts and interesting. And I'm like, well, at least what he's doing is nuts and interesting. This came in like a run of Milos Forman films. Maybe it's just mm-hmm. the two of them. There's this one and the People versus Larry Flint mm-hmm. that feel very similar to me. And I, I am much more of a fan of Andy Kaufman and his work than I ever was of Larry Flint. Right. I, I think Woody Harrelson's performance is better as the lead in that film. It's weird. To, it really is apples and oranges, but I bought Woody Harrelson as Larry Flint. More than I bought Jim Carrey as Andy Kaufman. He is, he is trying very hard. I, I will give yeah. you that. He is, he's doing an aggressive impression as opposed to, you know, like, I mean, it is specific in physicality and voice and, and it's big. It's a broad, broad, very detailed, but very broad interpretation of Andy Kaufman, but he's consistent with it. Again, he's yes. like, it, he play, that's one thing that I think he does really well is he plays huge characters consistently mm-hmm. from the beginning of the movie to the end. And believably, like he believes it. So I suspend my disbelief and I believe it, even though I can't objectively go, wow, he's really doing an aggressive Andy Kaufman impression. Yeah. I think I, I think when I saw this, I had just read Bob's Muda's book mm-hmm. about Andy Kaufman yeah. and I wanted more of that in the movie. Right. And it felt like I didn't get it. It felt like sort of a highlight reel. And that's not his fault. I do think it's a very good performance. The, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association agreed and gave him, he won back to back Golden Globes. So he won for comedy or musical for, for this one. I do mm. remember the first time he received it. He said, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this right down to the Chewy Chocolate Center. <laughs> that was his, that was his Truman Show award. Yeah. Uh, I just, for me, this is not a finalist. Kind of for a variety, for a variety of reasons. One is that I was sort of disappointed by the film. I wanted more out of it than I got. Yeah. And I think he's done better dramatic and comedic performances than he does here, although it's very good. Well, look, it is my favorite. Sure. Uh, but that is for my, mostly for my love of, uh, Andy Kaufman. Of course. Um, and my love of biopics. You know, I'm a big fan of a biopic. Sure. For me, trying to think objectively, does it beat the the cable guy? I don't think it does. So I'm happy. I'm and now at at this point, I feel like the two to beat are Dumb and Dumber and the Cable Guy. And I don't know if we put anything else in the finals that doesn't that we can't go. I could see it. I could see it going 15 rounds. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break here because mm-hmm. we're we're up to the year 2000, but not at it yet. And we'll we'll review the rest of his fil- filmography, and then we'll decide. The best Jim Carrey movie after we hear from some of the other Max Fun podcasts. How does that sound? That sounds great. All righty then. Boo. You wept as we crafted the tragic tale of Jar Jar, a Star Wars story. Yeah. Dude, he, like, he forgives Darth Vader. Misa <laughs> still love you, Annie. Yeah. Boom! Lights it yeah. right in the chest. You gasped out loud at the shocking twists of Face Off 2. Face is wild. He takes his kid's face. What? <laughs> now, hear the Story Boys write an entire screenplay week by week on Storybricks Season 2, Heaven Heist. 
Hey folks, Freddie Wong here with some exciting news about Story Break, the writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have one hour to spin cinematic gold. We're shaking up our format by turning Heaven Heist, one of our favorite ideas that we've ever come up with on the show, into a full-on screenplay, baby! Heaven Heist is an action comedy about a crew of misfit gangsters robbing the celestial bank of heaven. Think of Coco meets Point Break. Join us as we write this crazy movie scene by scene and get an inside look at the screenwriting process on our podcast, Story Break, every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Hi there, I'm Winston Knoll, and I play a bunch of characters on Mission to Zix, an improvised science fiction podcast. And this is our incredible sound designer, Shane. Hello. Shane makes it possible for me to fill our galaxy with ridiculous characters. Such as the Grand Gulam of the planet Flood. And the sentient starship, the Desel Marsh, man. And Bino. Bino loves character actors with versatility. And Jennifer J. Ryan, Lone Shark. And of course... AJ2A84, the defective clone trooper. Someone say clone? Who you calling well, clone? I'm sure, technically, we're all clones. Shut up with that clone. Shut up. There are five other cast members, too, but I sort of feel like I'm the alpha. Okay, that's fine. The season finale of Mission Zix is coming up next week, so this is the perfect time to dive in and catch up with our intrepid crew as they explore the Zix Quadrant. Give Mission to Zix a listen on Maximum Fun. And we're back. All right. I said that out of my butt. I know you did. You're standing right over my shoulder. I don't know how I don't know how you got a microphone in there for this whole episode. Hal's been doing this whole episode via his butt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I am I am tone loke to his Jim Carrey, forced to just sort of smell his butt wafts as he as he pinches and unpinches his cheeks. <laughs> you think that had to be unpleasant for Tone Loke in that moment? Like, man, you're wafting. This whole making it talk thing is just wafting. Yeah. Stop that, man. Stop it. <laughs> you gotta stop it, Jim. Oh, God. All right. So, uh, the next bit. Now, I think there's some of these, uh, we can start because we're sort of, we're coming to a second era mm-hmm. after his original golden age of his work. Yes. Um, we're coming to a second era where he does, a few more offbeat things and then gets some really offbeat stuff. So I, I don't know that we have to go through absolutely everything, but we're going to hit all the highlights. Yeah. His reunion with the Farrelly's for me, myself and Irene is a mm-hmm. really, uh, uh, is a great performance. It makes light of mental illness, which is not really, yeah. uh, look, never should have been okay. Certainly not okay now in the way that it's done, but his performance is very good. He creates two distinct personalities. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it just feels like this is, this was after two big dramatic performances as sort of his return to broad comedy. Yeah. And it's very, you know, he's, he's great in it. It's a lot of fun, but it's yeah. like, it's like the Farrelly's went, you know, they're big part of the big, uh, Hollywood world and they're like, all right, well, here's an idea. Why don't we get Jim Carrey and do a, uh, a funny Jekyll and Hyde? Yeah. Like it feels sort of like the studio's idea. Yes. You know what I mean? Which is a great idea. Sure. Get this uh, rubber face funny man who's proven to be a good actor. Have him do a Jekyll and Hyde movie that's a comedy and get the Farrelly brothers. Yep. Um, but it, that's sort of – I don't even know if that's the truth behind how that movie was created. But, you know, the, Feels as, like as Colbert as Colbert taught us, truthiness is a thing. That's right. Now, this next one, this feels like a fun outlier. Mm-hmm. And I would argue – uh, because of its ubiquity, I would put this up there with the other two. And it's a great character and it's him 
using his powers for good in the best way. Mm-hmm. And that is How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Ron Howard 2000 uh, that is now played everywhere all the time. Maybe I love it because in 2005, I started working at Universal Studios and mm-hmm. for nine years had a Grinchmas. But uh, his version of the Grinch is pretty definitive. He's unrecognizable in green makeup, but totally recognizable in physicality. Um, and it brought so many great moments. Uh, the cast is wonderful. The direction's wonderful. The, the sets, the, the whole world that's created for this movie. It's the reason it's lasted. I watch it, uh, every Christmas at least mm-hmm. once and it is on television every Christmas. So this one has become a, I think a bona fide classic. Thanks in large part to him. And I would put that in, in with, uh, Dumb and Dumber and, uh, and Cable Guy. And, uh, and Truman Show? Yeah, I put Truman Show up there too. So I'd say those four so far. I I am not a fan of of this movie. The reason why is I think the television special Cuz you're Jewish. Yeah, cuz I'm Jewish and I I hate Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> How the Grinch stole Christmas, the the television special is perfect. And this movie Yeah, tries but this is to a total build- I, this movie tries to build around it, and yeah. for me, as an audience goer, it was unsuccessful in doing that. As much as I like him, and as much as I, I went into that wanting to enjoy it, like I was very excited for it, and yeah. I, I don't feel like it delivered for me personally. But I, it's hard to argue that it didn't make a huge impact for a lot of people, and that it isn't now mm-hmm. an important part of Christmas. So I'm fine putting it in the finals for that reason. Great. All right. After that, we have this sort of very sweet movie in 2001. I like this. I don't think it's a finalist, but it's a lot of fun um, because it feels like a throwback to uh, to Frank Capra. Frank Capra movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is The Majestic. Yeah. Where Not he plays Peter, Peter Appleton, mm-hmm. who is a, an amnesiac, right? Who uh-huh. he's an amnesiac and a doppelganger. For mm-hmm. some, someone that a small town, a beloved son of a small town that they lost during the war. Yeah. Um, good so, luck following that. Go, yeah. Watch it. Go see that movie with that in mind and then try and follow it. But that, see, again, Dare that to you. me, that to me feels, it feels like, um, it feels like the Truman show or, uh, liar, liar, uh, in that they feel like strong hooks. Mm hmm. Like it, it seems like the mythology that's emerging for him is, um, was kind of a Buster Keaton mythology, like a broader Buster Keaton mythology of how does one person deal with an insane situation? You know what I mean? Yeah. You want another strong hook for a film? What if the polar ice caps melted and there was just water everywhere? Uh, then that's Bruce Almighty. And it became the water world. Oh wait, I'm confused. Sometimes, sometimes a strong hook doesn't make a good movie. Oh, I see. <laughs> I thought I was like, wait, the next one is Bruce Almighty. I thought the flood one was no, uh, Evan Almighty. The flood one was Evan Almighty. Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> sorry. Speaking it's, of which, it's early on a Lord. Sunday. Hell. Speaking of good Lord, yeah, Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty. Uh, yeah, this movie's good. <laughs> I went to take a sip of water, assuming you were going to start talking. Yeah. In 2004, he makes a movie with Michelle Gondry that I think is way, way more worthy of talking about. Bruce Almighty is fine. It yeah. Was, it's a again, comedy. Like, it's family comedy. Yeah. He's doing a lot of these. Yeah. It's it's good. It's memorable. Jennifer Aniston is in it. Uh, Steve Carell has a very small role as a, as a, as a bad guy, as like kind of the prick. 
at uh, at the news station where Bruce works, and I, you know, I, again, it's it's like, good. It's it's, it's the movie that made Steve Carell famous. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That movie is awesome. Is incredible. He, uh, Jim Carrey, plays a, a guy named Joel Barish, who is going to a service that will erase the painful memories of of the love of his life breaking up with him. So you get to go through the journey of meeting this woman mm-hmm. and, and where the relationship goes wrong. And it's weird and quirky and fantastic. I think this movie is wonderful. Yes. I think this is a Gondry movie. Mm-hmm. I think that there are other, and, and it's Charlie Kaufman movie. Yeah. Um, it's weird. It's fun. It's wonderful. Honestly, I don't think of it right off the bat as a Jim Carrey movie because he's part of an ensemble that is working in service to a writer and director in this. Right. I think that a lot of actors could have done that role and done it really well. Uh, I think that in our search for the best Jim Carrey movie, I think we got to pick a movie that only Jim Carrey could have done. Um, mm. That said, I think that this is an excellent movie. Okay. Um, but it feels more like... Yeah, it feels to me more like a uh it's a Charlie Kaufman movie. Right. And this not, was at the time when Charlie Kaufman movies were super hot. We're not deciding the best movie with Jim right. Carrey in it. We're exactly. Asking, we're trying to figure out the best Jim Carrey movie. And like we often talk yeah. about on the show, um, in our search for the if, if we're picking an actor like Nicolas Cage, we did Tom Hanks, we did uh one of the things we have to determine is the most. Like what is the most Nicolas Cage movie, the most Jim Carrey movie. Okay. That I think is not necessarily what we're choosing, but a small part of it. Make sense? Yeah. Then I think we can. Uh, uh, well, there are a bunch that that I think we don't have. To, we've been talking about every single movie ever made. I don't know that we need to do. I, like we don't need to talk about the number twenty three or Horton Hears a Who or or even no. I Love You, Philip Morris, which is an interesting film, but not really. You know, I don't think I would consider a huge Jim Carrey movie like a Jim Carrey movie. Lemony right. Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events in 2004 is very interesting. That is Count Olaf. Yeah. He's great as Count Olaf. But I also think Neil Patrick Harris has proven to be great as Count Olaf. So I think you could have made that movie without him and mm-hmm. it would have been okay. You know, you could have, you could have gotten, a, uh, there are different actors who could have done that really, really well yeah. and pulled off that character. But, but I don't know. I think that, uh, I think that Count Olaf in the first Lemony Snicket, Mm-hmm. Like, I think that, I think that Neil Patrick Harris did a great job and was standing on the shoulders of what Jim Carrey did in that. Sure. I think that was another version of him at his best. I don't think it was as, as good a version of him playing a broad character, uh, in prosthetics in a family piece. Right. Which is as, as apples to apples as we, as we're going to get with yes. the Grinch. And I think he did it better in the Grinch. Okay. That's Does that makes sense. Yes. Um, and it's it's funny that now that you say that, I'm looking at the rest of them now, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess the rest of it is just he hasn't. We're 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 past sort of the pin, the peak, Jim Carrey, and he's been doing other things. He's been doing a lot of television, doing a lot of uh, yep. funny or die things. He did a few drunk history things, um, and is very funny, uh, in you know, yeah, Mr. Popper's Penguins, uh. There is, uh, there is one more sort of late era Jim Carrey that I'd like to talk about though. Uh, okay. That I, I have think, one too, but I wonder if it's the same as yours. I wonder if it is that I think is absolutely bonkers and a blast. 
Okay. And that is his role in the incredible Burt Wonderstone. That was mine too. It's, he's so, he's so fun yeah. as a like David Blaine esque stage magician. Yeah. Who it's, it's the dumbest bit I have ever seen. He's just a magician who drills a hole in his own head. Yeah. And the whole bit is, I am going to do this for real, everybody. I really am. I am actually going to drill a hole in my head. <laughs> and then he does it. And it it renders him like uh lobotomized, yeah. basically. <laughs> because he just <laughs> drilled a hole in his own head. It is it's the most insane it's the most insane Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey performance. Is am I remembering right? I know Steve Carell is the incredible Burt Wonderstone. Is mm-hmm. is Steve Buscemi his partner? Steve Buscemi is his partner, yeah. Uh, yeah, Anton Marvelton. Did she, did she? He's, this movie is so bonkers. Oh, oh, I love this movie so much. And who is the, who is the, it's so stupid. the woman in it? Who is Olivia Wilde. Yes. Who's yeah. also like a great illusionist. Um, did you ever get to see any of David Blaine's stunts live? Uh, yes. Well, I mean, when on television, when he was doing them in the moment, not like in person. I saw him, I think it was when he was encased in ice in New York. It this would have been around 2000. Oh, yeah. I was going to the WWE restaurant because why would it was you? Yeah. Yeah, Because it was me. And he would just like wave at people. And I was like, why are you doing this? Why on earth? What, what are you proving? Yeah, that's what, that's what Jim Carrey, it's picking one very specific, very ridiculous mirror to society moment and executing it perfectly. I have to think, and, and we'll find he out. He might be on stage for 10 minutes in this movie. We're or overdue. For 10 minutes. Uh, we're overdue to have Misty Lee. Who, in addition to being somebody we know from Second City, yes. is, is a well accomplished, uh, and super skilled magician on as, as a guest. And I'm curious to know, cause it seems to me that, that stunts like that don't feel like they're magic at all. It no, but they, like- but they harken back to Houdini. Like Houdini yeah. would do that stuff. He would, okay, the East River has frozen over. I'm going to stay underwater in the East River for as long as possible. I guess. Uh, it, it, I feel like these are, these are a throwback to the escapes mm. that Houdini would actually do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, there was no trick to him hanging from a crane in a straitjacket. He could just get out of it. He knew how. Do you remember when I did the David Blaine impression at Thrilling Adventure Hour? We were at Largo. Or not Largo. At uh, M-Bar. At M-Bar, yes, I do. <laughs> My impression of him before that was always, can I show you something? Do you want to see something? <laughs> do you see something? Pick a card. Like he looks like, uh, he comes at people in those TV specials like a junkie. <laughs> yeah. Like the person who you see walking down the street sort of mumbling to themselves and you're just sitting there going, Oh, I hope. Yeah. I, I hope please don't walk hope. up to me. Oh yeah, God. Please. Oh, wait. No, he's holding. Oh, he's holding. He's handing me a coin. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh man. What is this? Wait, what? <laughs> so there is kind of that to it, which I kind of love. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, are there any other here that you want to talk about? And I think I think ending on the delicious 
not at all nutritious, but wonderfully tasty dessert that is his role in Burt Wonderstone. I think I'm, I'm fully content with that being the dessert of our conversation. Okay. And diving in now to find out who is the, uh, who is the ultimate winner. So our finalists are, mm hmm, Dumb and Dumber, mm hmm, The Cable Guy, mm hmm, The Truman Show, mm hmm, and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Okay. Are you, do you want to do a, uh, round robin elimination? Sure. Do you so, want to go first? Are we, we'll each, well, we'll just each eliminate one and then we'll get down to two. Okay. Sounds good. Um, I'll start. Okay. Uh, I'm going to eliminate the Truman show. All right. Um, because I think he does wonderful, wonderful work in the Truman show, but I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why. I think the other ones are, I think he's, Funnier when he's funny and, uh, better dramatically when he's dramatic in the others. Uh, I'm gonna eliminate The Grinch because that feels more like a Ron Howard film than a Jim Carrey film. It is a collective Christmas movie mm-hmm. that I don't think of. If you asked me to name five Jim Carrey movies off the top of my head, that wouldn't be in the five. That just, that <laughs> like immediately came up, yeah. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. We're talking you know what's funny? You know what's funny is there were two that we were like, well, that's a finalist. And then there were two right. that each of us was like, Okay. And those two are the ones that we just eliminated of each other's. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so it's Dumb and Dumber or it's the cable guy. Yeah. Let's see where we are. Do you want to do a one, two, three, say it and then see where we are? Sure. All right. One, two, three. The dumb cable and dumber. guy. Yeah. Oh! I had a feeling. <laughs> I had a feeling. I was looking up. I was getting my people of the world ready. Um, that's I was very so funny. sure that you were going to say it too. Why, why dumb and dumber over, uh, the cable guy? Because I like, I guess I, it, it is, it does seem like I have been erring more on the side of the, the more, the more biting satires. Sure. Uh, than the traditional Jim Carrey roles. There are a few reasons why I think it's dumb and dumber. Mm-hmm. One of them is just in terms of popular canon. Mm-hmm. That is one of, if not his most popular comedies. Yeah. Whereas the cable guy was seen as a disappointment when it came out, albeit I, I said it myself. It's underrated. Underrated, yeah. misunderstood. I think that the elements that you like the most, which are the satire, mm-hmm. are coming fr- from Ben Stiller and Judd Apatow. Yeah, and, and not I think from Jim Carrey. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. So if we're saying that, uh, like Eternal Sunshine feels like a Gondry movie, like it, yeah. If it's the, if it's the. The director shining through and the writer shining through. I can understand that. Yeah. Um, and Dumb and Dumber does feel like the most Jim Carrey movie. Yeah. Hey, you want to do that one, two? Boy, I just rolled over pretty easy on that one, but I think you're right. Um, <laughs> you want to do that count off again? Oh, oh you want to, you want to do it again? Sure. And just say the same thing? Why? It's okay that we, sure. No, no, no. Let's do it one here. more. Let's do it one more time just to make sure. I just want to see what's going to come out of my mouth. Okay. Ready? One, One, two, three. Three. The Grinch. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) All right, go. People of the world, we got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. But we still have Lloyd and Harry crossing the country to give Mary Samsonite her her, her briefcase back. (laughs) She has to get her bag. Oh, and even though you can't triple stamp a double stamp, 
This movie's so good. Why are you? It's why so are you? I I'm like that you're picking all these quotes. You're pulling all of these quotes that are none of the like, like total ingrained in the brains of every kid. What do you, what do you think is ingrained? What do you uh, give me one that you think? Most is annoying sound in the world. Most annoying sound in the world. Um, uh, I like it a lot. I like it. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to all right, fine. All the right. the. Uh, what are my chances? One in a million. So you're saying there's a chance. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah there's some epic funny in that. That's true. Uh, and, well, and I think that it wins because specifically because of Jeff Daniels' dookie scene. <laughs> Jeff Daniels' butthole yeah. gives us, uh, the best movie. All right, fine. I'll, I'll retake it, but we're leaving everything in. All right. <clears throat> People of the world. <laughs> Asked and answered. Do you know how many times while that was happening, my brain went, how long is this going to go? Like, I think I got through three full times of my brain doing that. <laughs> I kept it short. I was like, I can't do this for that long. Surely. Uh, asked and answered. But there are many more topics to discuss. Thank you for this topic. Joseph, was it? Yes. Uh, thank you, Joseph. And there are many more topics to discuss. So please reach out to us on Twitter at WeGotThisTweets. Check out the Maximum Fun subreddit or email us at WeGotThisPodcast at gmail.com or go to the Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash WeGotThisPodcast. Share your favorite Jim Carrey gifts and your opinions on his film canon. Which one do you think is best? And now... Uh, how do you feel that you're living in a world where it's dumb and dumber? Thank you to producer Ken Plume, <laughs> researcher Kate McManus, graphic designer Uri Kelman, and QA engineer Jen Alba. And thank you, of course, to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman, for our score and theme song, respectively. And thanks to you, our listeners, as Hal and I bend over and safe through our butts, we would like to ask you a few questions. <laughs> For Hal Loveland, I'm Mark Gagliardi. For Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Loveland, and don't worry, everybody. We got this. We got this. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.